This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Romans chapter 6 is where we are today. If you want to turn in your Bible there, we'll have uh, the verses up on the screen. In case you didn't bring a Bible and you want to follow along, uh, feel free to watch up here and and read uh, together with us when we do that. Uh, we, uh, we're in a series here in Romans uh, over the next several weeks, uh, four more weeks to go as we go through Romans chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. So if this is your first time with us in this series, we're glad you're here. You can listen to the other messages on our podcast at our website and all the rest of them in this series, and I hope that you'll, uh, you'll follow along and do that. Uh, there is a, a small area of land that divides uh, the nations of North and South Korea. When the Korean War came to a ceasefire on July 27, 1953, uh, a demilitarized zone, a DMZ, was created. And that DMZ created a middle ground between the two countries that to this day, you know, 58 years, 57 years later, they are still technically at war. But there's this DMZ there. There never was a peace treaty, only a ceasefire. And soldiers may patrol in this, in this DMZ. Each side, north and south, agreed to move their troops back 2,000 yards, 2,000 meters, you know, roughly a half a mile from the center of the DMZ. Soldiers may patrol within their 2,000 meters, but they may not cross that center line. Now you think about these two countries, North Korea, South Korea, they speak the same language, same culture. Many people in the South have family members in the North, and many in the North have family members in the South, and perhaps they have not seen one another for over 50 years. It's supposed to be this DMZ, this neutral ground is supposed to be a place of ceasefire. Yet in the last 50-some years, there have been sporadic outbreaks of violence due to North Korean hostilities. And in those 50-some years, between 1953 and 1999, 11 years ago, over 500 Korean soldiers and 50 of our own United States soldiers have been killed in that DMZ. So in reality... The middle ground between these two countries is a dangerous place to be. As Christians, you and I who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, and in this series we've been talking about how God has moved us from one place to another. He's moved us from a place of uh, being in an unrighteous standing with him to being in a righteous standing. He's moved us from Adam to being in Christ. He's moved us from helplessness helplessness and hopelessness and sin to to a place of of peace and and life that he's given us. He's moved moved us from death to life and and so forth. We're talking about those transitions that come when Jesus Christ is your Savior. But as Christians, here's here's the reality. Here's here's what really happens in our lives. We're going to talk about this this morning. What do we do about it? How do we view it? That we can often move as a Christian We can move from living the life of Christ back into living a life of sin. Now, it doesn't have to be a total dive into sin, but it can just be the occasional mess up. And we can excuse ourselves by saying, and I won't ask you to raise your hands if you have made this excuse, 
because probably all of us have, but we can excuse ourselves by saying, well, I just can't help it. That's how just who I am. Even as one person told me, that's how God made me. But is that so? And is there a middle ground, a demilitarized zone, if you will, a neutral ground where we can go and we can live in that place? We're not actually here and we're not actually there. We're somewhere in the middle where we can live sometimes like we're following Christ and sometimes like we're not. Paul's going to answer that question here today with me in Romans 6, beginning verse 15. So look with me at verse 15. Paul starts off by saying, what then? And we'll talk about what then, what then what? What then should we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? And he gives the answer to his question. Absolutely not. What then? Well, that goes back to verse 14. So if you back up and look at verse 14, Paul says we're under grace. He said, for sin, remember we talked about this last week, will not rule over you. It's no longer your ruler, does not have reign over your life. Control of your life, sin, will not rule over you because you're not under the law, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament law. You're under grace. Now, I think of grace. Here's a good way to understand what Paul's talking about. I think, for me, I think of it as an insurance policy. Probably everybody in this room has some kind of insurance, whether it's homeowner's insurance, medical insurance, car insurance, but let's think about car insurance for a moment. I think of it as kind of like a, an insurance policy that you have. I know that when I drive my vehicle, because I have this insurance policy, if I'm involved in an accident, that my policy We'll see to it, the company that I'm insured with will pay for the damages and the medical bills. I have that insurance. So what then, to ask Paul's question? Does that mean that I can go out today and leave church and get on 158 and play demolition derby with everybody that's coming down the highway? Say, this is a great day for bumper cars. Let's see who can ding up the other guy's car the most. After all, I've got... And that's what insurance is for. Now, Sam Knight, I saw Sam come in, and Sam is an insurance adjuster. And Sam's going, he's starting to have heart palpitations right now. (laughs) Do I go out and drive like that any old way with no restraints and hit anybody and don't care if I do? Because I've got insurance and the insurance will fix my car if I mess it up. So what then? I've got insurance. I'm covered under the policy, right? And the answer is, You don't, O'Brien. No, that's not what insurance is for. Insurance isn't so that I can drive with no restraints. Insurance is to take care of me primarily for emergencies, primarily for those times when maybe I wasn't paying attention or the other guy wasn't paying attention. But it's not so that I can just live how I want to. So your first point in your notes that Paul says is this, grace does not give me a license to sin. Grace doesn't mean just go out and live like you want to. A lot of people are afraid of grace or they don't understand it. I've had so many people who believe that salvation can be forfeited. It's not eternal. Who have, who have talked with me and you know, we've had some discussions about it and, and, and have said, well, then what you're saying salvation is because of grace, you're saying salvation is a license to sin. You can go out and live however you want. Their argument goes like this. What you're saying is you've got this grace insurance. Why not just go out and experience a bit of sin just for the fun of it? 
You know, it doesn't matter what you do because you've got grace. And grace will cover any mistakes that you made and God forgives. Just go out and live like you want to. And those kind of people would much rather live a religion that's all about rules and do's and don'ts and doing your best. And this is exactly the argument that Paul defeats here because Paul says, no way. That's not what grace is for. That's not the purpose of grace so that we can say, I do whatever I want. You know, it's okay. All the dings and the bangs and the dents and the, and the d- damage that I do, it's okay because I've got insurance. The way it reads in the Greek here, what Paul says, gives a, gives a question about should we go ahead then and commit sin because we've got grace? It, it gives the question a meaning not of can I continuously live a lifestyle of sin? That fact, in fact, was the question that Paul asked last week in verse 1. This is a little bit different for those of well, I'm not talking about going and just living whole hog as a sinner, but can I just go off and every so often just kind of have a little bit, let my hair down and just do whatever I want and go back and taste a little bit of that old lifestyle once in a while? That's got to be okay, right? And the, the Greek gives this idea, then, then, it, then it's okay if I commit an act of sin now and then. And Paul's answer is exactly the same as it was in the beginning of the chapter when he said, absolutely not, God forbid, no way. You can't do that. Here's where God's word challenges us. How many times have you and I, after committing a sin, and we knew it was wrong when we did it, said or thought something like this, oh well, After all, I am a sinner, and it can't be helped. Besides, nobody's, you've said it, haven't you? You've done that. Nobody's perfect. Use that excuse. I've had that attitude, but you have as well. Well, you know, I have no self-discipline, or I just can't control myself. Or sometimes I think it's okay to be a little naughty. It's not like I'm addicted to heroin or something, man. Well, hey, just because you're on a diet doesn't mean you can't look at the menu. What excuses have you used? As though if I sin every so often, God understands. He knows I'm weak. And after all, come on now, think about it. God in heaven's got way more important things to do and be concerned about in this world than little old me and what I do. You ever try to justify your sin by stuff like that? Really? Paul says, absolutely not. That's so lame. Look at verse 16. He says, do you not know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Don't you know that? To the Roman church, Paul says to them, hey, it's simple to understand. It's as plain as the nose on your face. Everybody gets this. It doesn't take a genius to figure this out. That's what Paul's saying to them. What's he saying? Next point in your notes. You have to choose which master you will serve. Don't you know that well, whoever is your master, that's who you're going to obey. That's who you're going to serve. So you've got to make a choice. 
Christian. And in this paragraph, here's some points that Paul's making. First of all is this. I am a slave of who or whatever I choose to obey. Get this. At any moment of my life. At any moment of my life. That's why so many great Christian songs throughout our history have been written that speak of with phrases like this, to talk about our relationship with God and talk about it being day by day, step by step, and moment by moment. That's why I need, and you do too, to stay on a path that's following Jesus. I need to realize, I need to accept the fact that my next step, my next word, my next thought, the very next moment of my life could very easily present a choice of what or who will be my master right now. I can walk out of this church gathering where I've just worshiped God, I've listened to God's word, I've prayed, I've given, I've even eaten holy donuts and coffee. I can do all of that, and I can walk out of this gathering, and and within just a matter of moments, I drive out, and I get on the road, and maybe like those of us who live here know that in the summertime, you can probably get there quicker and with less stress if you drive up and down the beach road. And so I leave here and I go and I get on Highway 12, the beach road, and I'm going up the beach road to go home. And all all along the beach road are these um, crosswalks for people to cross safely. And I always stop at those if I see somebody there and let them across. But, you know, some people don't want to go across at the crosswalk. They don't cross wherever they want to cross. There might be a crosswalk no farther than for me to that door right there, but they won't walk down there and cross. They want to cross right here. And so I'm driving down the road, and I know there's a crosswalk, and I see them, and they're standing there, and they don't want to go at the crosswalk. But you know what? They see me down there about 50, 75 yards away, and they start walking across the road, and I've got to slow down and come to a stop. And I've just been at church, and I've just preached, and I've just given, and I've just drank holy coffee and eaten a holy donut, and I've just fellowshiped with God's people and praised God and had a great thing, and all of a sudden, I've got to put my brakes on, and I'm, and I'm thinking, Like my granddaddy used to say, I'll make you a grease spot in just a second. (laughs) Any moment, any moment I can go back over and obey the other master, the old master. So can you. In a matter of moments, I can take a wrong turn from Jesus to serving sin. Secondly, Paul's saying to us, my choices are sin or obedience to God. Choose one or the other. Sin or obey God. No one can choose for me. This past year, last year, Gail and I had a new bathroom built on our home. It makes a whole lot of sense. You know, finally, when everybody's moved out, we want to build another bathroom. But we had a new bathroom Built on, but we're getting older now. We don't have to go into any other rooms to get to the bathroom. You know, it's it's right there and it's quick. So <laughs> we built this new bathroom in our home. And when it came to picking out the colors and the tiles and the style of the bathtub, it's one of these corner tubs, you know, with a Roman fountain thing. 
I want a bathroom. I want to make sure the water flows, that it flushes, and I can at least take a shower. And if there's a mirror, that's an added plus. I'm a man. I don't care. I don't care what color it is. I don't care what's on the floor as long as it's not mud. You know, it doesn't make much difference to me. So when it came to all those things that, I, that I've learned over these 33 years plus of being married, you know, I've learned that if they're not important to me, I just say, honey, whatever you like, you make that choice. Now, how many of you men have learned that important lesson in life? There's, there's, there's a few wise guys out there. Okay. But you know, when it comes to walking the, the path and making spiritual decisions about right and wrong in my life, I have to choose the path. I have to take the step in that direction. No one, not my wife, not my kids, not my boss, not my pastor, my, not my parents, no one can make that choice for me. I have to choose. Third thing Paul says there are the benefits are either life or death. The benefits of your choice, who are you going to serve? Life or death, this is a general statement here. Paul said many times in the last couple chapters that sin leads to death. Now, for a person, and you may be here today and this fits your, your bill, for a person who has never had their sins forgiven by receiving Jesus Christ, that death that Paul's speaking of includes eternal separation from God in, in eternal punishment in a place called hell. For the person who receives Christ as Savior by believing the gospel message, that life includes an eternal home with Christ in heaven. But here is Romans. Paul's writing to a church. He's writing to Christians who have given, who've been given this new and eternal life, yet the principle is the same for those of us who have already believed. If we as Christians choose sin, any time in our lives as our master the results are never the abundant life Jesus promised. Sin never results in joy and contentment. The scripture says there is pleasure for sin for how long? A season, a short period of time. It feels good for a while. It was really fun Saturday night, but when I wake up Sunday morning, my head is exploding. That's the way sin is. It doesn't, pl- it doesn't give joy and contentment. Sin never brings you into a closer relationship with God. And that's what he's answering that question. So if I sin, doesn't that give me a better relationship with God? Because God gets to give me more grace. No, it doesn't do that. It only leads us away from Jesus. It only leads us away from his church. It only leads us away from family. And some sinful choices for believers as well as anybody else can lead to physical death as well. On the other hand, when you and I, who are Christians, choose to obey Christ and choose him as our master, moment by moment, step by step, day by day, the result is always life in its fullest, including unspeakable joy, Paul would write about and fulfillment, even in the toughest of circumstances. Verses 20 and 21, he says, For when you were, and this is past tense, when you were slaves of sin, you were free from allegiance to righteousness. And what fruit was produced then from those things that you're now ashamed of? For the end of those things, the fruit of those things, is death. You see, before we knew Christ, Christian, When we were slaves to the old nature, when we were sin slaves, when sin was our master, we had no reason, compelling reason, to do the things that were right. In fact, we could not at that point in our lives help ourselves 
from sinning because of our allegiance to our master. What did it give us, Paul said? What fruit came from our lives? Paul says, now, he says, the things that we now are ashamed of, now that we have a new master, we think back to that and think, I can't believe I did those things. Like, you know, thank God that he changed my life. And the path that we were on at that time, he said, it ended in death. Then Paul stops and he praises God for this Roman church and the people, and he reminds them of what God's done for them and how God has changed each one of them, reminding them once again, and this is so key for us to learn, my old life is past. We talked about last week, he said the old life died, somebody tell me when. My old life died when? When Jesus died on the cross, Paul said. It was crucified with him on the cross. It's dead. It was buried and he raised me to walk in new, new life. Now Paul says, reminds him, it's past. Because that's so easy to forget. Verses 17 and 18, he says to them, but thank God that although you used to be, again, past, slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. You heard the gospel. Somebody came and shared Jesus Christ with you, and you believed that. And having been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. But now, since you have been liberated from sin and become enslaved to God, you have your fruit. The fruit before that old life, you're ashamed of that, what it produced. And it led to death. You have now a different kind of fruit which results in sanctification or that's another word for holiness, that process of making us like Christ in this life. And he said the end, at the end of the road, is eternal life. Here's the point. Christ has emancipated you. Christ has emancipated. We we know the word emancipation from our U.S. history class when we studied the actions of President Lincoln When during the Civil War, he declared slavery to be ended in these United States. And then with that Emancipation Proclamation, all those who were in slavery, he said, you are now free, men and women, because emancipation is freedom from slavery. But if you know your history, you do know that even though President Lincoln declared freedom for all the slaves, that not all slavery ended, did it? First, there were slave owners in the South which considered it at itself at that time to be a separate country, who said, then we don't care what Mr. Lincoln says. He's not our president. doesn't apply to us. And kept their slaves. But second, this phenomenon happened as well, even after the war was over. Many slaves who had been born and raised in slavery, who knew no other kind of life, Many slaves who knew no other way of living than to be the property of someone else chose to remain under their slave master's care rather than to set out on their own even after the war ended, when it was all done. They stayed on the plantation. And nothing, although they were no longer slaves by law, and they were free men, 
for them in the way they live, nothing really changed for them as long as they remained on that plantation. They still lived in the same slave quarters. They still worked the same fields, but now maybe they got to do a little sharecropping and bring some of it in for their own uh, existence and maybe even to sell some of it. But still, they did the same work in exchange for a home. They did the same work in exchange for some of the crops. They were free to leave, but many chose to stay right where they were. Paul says, here's why I use this image of slavery to the Romans. See, to us, it's hard for us in in 21st century United States culture to understand slavery. But in the Roman culture, where it was a, a, a normal practice, they understood slavery. And Paul says in this, in verse 19, I'm using a human analogy Because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you offer the parts of yourselves as slaves to moral impurity, parts of yourselves meaning your body, and to greater and greater lawlessness, excuse me, now, Christian, offer them, your body, as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification and holiness. Paul was a great teacher. And as a great teacher, he knew that sometimes there are tough concepts that you want to communicate to those, your students, and, and in order to help them grasp the concepts better, it's always good to use an illustration from life that helps us get it. But Paul also wrote to them and said, but I want you to understand, it's, it's, it's a good illustration, but it's got some imperfections, and it's not exactly the best thing, but it's, you know, I hope it helps you understand it. Because what I want you to understand is that you were a slave to sin. You've been now made a slave to God. But please understand, being a slave to God is being freed. You've been emancipated. You've been liberated. It it, it goes along with this concept in the Bible. You've heard of the word redemption. Redemption is the Bible term for how God frees us from slavery. In the Greek language and in the culture that gave us the written New Testament, the word for redemption had this meaning. One of the meanings was to go to a slavery auction and purchase a slave from the auction block of slavery, to pay for that slave. That was the idea of redemption. So if you'll imagine in your mind, you're at a slave auction, not only are you at the auction, but you're the slave standing up on the block being auctioned, and all the people have come around to purchase you. Actually, there are only two, sin and God. And to buy you and hold you as a slave, sin already owns you, but God walks up and says, I'm gonna purchase you, And bring you off of that slave block, off of that auction block. And and he pays this huge price for you, a price that everybody else says, that's way more than Rick's worth. It's way more than any of us were worth. But because he loves us, he walks up and he bids the highest price. And now now you belong to him. And and he says to you, I bought you. And, and as he reaches and takes your hand and, pull, and, and you walk off of that auction block and he takes the chains off from around your ankles and your feet and your hands and he, and he throws the chains away, he says, I have purchased you so that you can be free to live as I created you to live. Peter writes about this concept of redemption. He says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life 
inherited from the fathers. He's saying the same thing that Paul said a couple of weeks ago about what we got from Adam. You are redeemed from that empty way of life that you you inherited from the fathers. How are you redeemed? Not with perishable things like silver or gold, not with currency, not with treasure, not with money, but with what? With the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. That's what God paid for us. Jesus said that he came into this life, into this world to give his life as a ransom for us. The price paid for our freedom was that Jesus Christ came and he died and he shed his blood. And when you or I put our faith in him as Savior, as Paul explains it, so that we can understand it here, he says, when you trusted Jesus as your Savior, he emancipated you, he liberated you from the master of sin. And that means, you need to meditate on this, you need to let this sink in. You think that means if what Paul is saying is true, and I believe it to be true, that means this, Christian, about you and about me. I no longer have to sin. I've been set free from that. I don't have to do that anymore. But guess what? I do. But whose fault is it? I make the choice. Freed people are no longer in the chains of slavery. The old master, our sinful nature, no longer, Paul says, has power, has dominion over you and me unless I give it back to him. What a dumb thing to do. If you've been given life in Christ, you've been freed from the grip of sin and its fruit in your life. Last week the message was that the old you died with Christ on the cross, and today the message is that you've been given the gift of freedom to live a new life. But even though you hear the message like some of the slaves did in this country after the Emancipation Proclamation, you can continue to think and act like a slave under the old master. And you can continue to be under sin's domination. But that's up to you. Do you want to live in freedom? Or do you want to live in slavery when you don't have to? But you have to choose. Listen to Jesus' words. In fact, let's say them together in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Read them with me. No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus, here's what he said, you can't straddle the fence. He can't say, oh, I'll live for God on Sunday. I'm here. God, see? Put some money in the offering. Sang songs, listened to the preacher, shook somebody's hand. I don't even know. You can't live for God on Sunday, but the rest of the week say, but I want to live my old life when I want to. You can't last in a spiritual tug of war. If you can imagine you being the rope, and there's the old master and Jesus pulling on you, You can't last very long because eventually you're going to do what? You're going to let go of one hand or the other. You can't live in sin and follow Christ at the same time. And you can't just say, well, nobody's perfect. When you do sin as if there's no way to have prevented it. Jesus said so. Paul said so. The Bible says so. There is no middle ground. 
The last verse of this chapter may be what you need to hear today. Verse 23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And maybe you're here today and you're not like these Romans 2,000 years ago. Maybe you've, you've never in your life trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe it's your first time in church, maybe first time in a long time, maybe you come to church every Sunday, but you've never personally believed in Christ. You've just been practicing religion, perhaps. Maybe you've been an atheist. But maybe you're tired of religion or you're tired of being empty inside because you've never found peace. The Bible says that Jesus will provide you a freedom and eternal life if you will simply believe in him. And God gives you the gift of everlasting life. You don't earn it. You just trust God that he'll give it to you if you accept it. It's there. Would you bow with me in prayer right now? Our Heavenly Father, it helps me to see that visual picture of standing on that auction block. And as the bidding goes on, it helps me to imagine the voice of God Almighty saying, I want to purchase Rick, and I'm paying for him with the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to redeem him. And it helps me, Father, to, in my mind's eye, to see God Almighty taking a key and unlocking those chains, shackles from my feet and from my hands, and taking my hand and helping me off that block. And as a loving father giving me a hug and whispering in my ear, you're free. You don't ever have to go stand on that block again. But then, Lord, I wonder why do I sometimes want to climb back up there? Why at certain moments do I forget that I'm free and I obey the old master? Help me to realize that I am free. Help me to realize the price that was paid was enormous. And the love that's been given to me and the grace that's been given to me is beyond all comprehension. And if there's one person here today, Lord, that doesn't know that, has never experienced Christ and his grace and his love and his forgiveness and his life, I would pray that right now, this very moment, they might, with the knowledge that they may have, which may be very small, simply say, God, I want to believe in your son. I want to accept him as my savior. Change my life. And you do. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.